0: Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. The goal of this show is to uncover, dismantle, and to eradicate racism. We really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. You know, we've been talking about race and racism in this country for years, and sometimes I will watch old clippings of things from the 90s and from the 80s, and I find myself thinking, we are still trying to address some of the same issues and then we wonder does it really matter and that's a question that often comes up when people are talking to me is it possible for us to dismantle racism why are we still blind to some of the same things that we've been talking about is it important what i do and my answer is yes because we still need to continue to uncover racism in this country there are people when racism is staring them straight in the face cannot see it but the more we press on the more we continue to help them see things um, as they are the more they will be um the more more aware they will become i'm often reminded of a conversation that i had with with my children's father years ago. And it was a conversation that we had over and over and over again. And one day I remember when tensions were not as high and we were simply just driving along. And I asked him a question that seemed like it wasn't relevant to this conversation we'd been having for years. And it started out as one thing, And it ended up circling back to the thing that we had been having a conversation about over time. Now, what was relevant was my attitude was different. And I started the conversation from a different place and I was able to hear him differently. And then hopefully he was able to hear me differently. So sometimes when we're having conversations about race and racism, even though there are conversations we've had repeatedly, sometimes is really about the timing, tone, and the opportunity that presents itself. So as you listen to today's show, I want you to think about things that you've heard in the past, and maybe we'll cover some things that we've talked about before. But try to listen with new insight, with new understanding. And to see how you can walk away from this show deciding that there's one thing that you will do differently. Because we uncover a lot of kernels on this show. But the idea is to go beyond the uncovering, the educating, to the place where we can say little by little, we will dismantle racism. We will start to speak a new language. We will start to open our minds to new ideas. So today on the show, I want to invite you as always, please send in your comments. Even if you're listening after the show, send in your comments because it's the way that we know what you're interested in, know what you're thinking, know how to address these issues on our next show. It's a way of us also understanding who else should we invite to be on this show? What type of conversation would you like to see? But it's also our way of learning. Because just because we're the ones on here talking about these issues doesn't mean that we can't grow in the conversation. So I want to invite you to leave your comments, ask your questions. I also want to invite you to go to sacredintelligence.com. You'll find out more information about me. You'll know how to contact me um, to talk about um, your concerns, your questions around the topics that we tackle on this show. You'll also find out ways in which I can help you privately or with your organization. Want to invite you, I'm really um, excited. It's coming up on one year since the release of my book. So if you haven't gotten it yet, I want to remind you to please get a copy of the book. You will be uh, blessed and encouraged to continue in this sacred intelligence journey of faith to dismantle racism. Now, I wanna invite us to do what we always do is to let's find the time to breathe our way into the conversation. I always invite you to do that because we don't realize most of us how shallow we're breathing, particularly when we're overwhelmed and when the conversation is tense. So I like to invite us into the sacred and special place of breathing in and calming our nerves and our emotions so that we can hear with a different ear. So join me if you will. I invite you to close your eyes and to center yourself. If you're seated, I invite you to begin by feeling your feet supported by the floor, feeling your legs your buttocks supported by the chair or the couch that you're sitting on. If you're outside, it's even better so that you can ground yourself and the earth, be connected with nature. But just begin to breathe in and out. Try to take some really deep breaths in and out because, again, Our breathing sometimes is very shallow. So we don't get the oxygen traveling through our lungs that we need to travel through. So breathe in and out. Connecting you with your sacred source, whatever that is for you. Connecting you with divine wisdom. Connecting you with the God of your understanding. Connecting you with Source and Nature. Just breathe in and out. Connecting you with your sacred intelligence, that part of you that helps you to manifest your greatness while simultaneously helping others to manifest their greatness. Breathe in and out just connecting with who you are, understanding your purpose, connecting with your full potential whether you've reached it or not, but understanding that you are meant for more. Whatever your role is, there's something that you can do to dismantle racism. Even as you are encouraging others, uplifting others, teaching others, motivating others, inspiring others. So just connect with your power. Breathing in and out. Trusting that what you do matters. Trusting that you will find the answers to your next step. You will find resolutions to your problems. You will find clarity to your, your confusion. Now breathe in and out. Giving gratitude for yourself and where you are in this journey of dismantling racism. And give gratitude for all those who are walking alongside you, supporting you. And now give gratitude for all who came before you. Now just take a deep breath in. And slowly exhale it out, recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community. And now, we say, and so it is. Ashe. Amen. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. I always feel feel so great myself after I do that because it is a way, again, of preparing me for the conversation as well. And it's a way for me to acknowledge my role in dismantling racism, but to acknowledge that each and every one of you who take the time to listen to the show, to my guests who come on the show, to the people who help me produce the show, that all of us are working together to dismantle racism. And we're showing up for a purpose and for a reason. So today on our show, I'm so excited because I'm bringing back one of my guests, Ricky Wade. He was here before, where we talked about the American Redneck Company. He's here today because we're gonna continue this conversation on ending race in America. More, um, We're gonna have more conversations around the ways that racism shows up on a daily basis, because I think, that often people think we're just making stuff up, that we're playing the race card. And I always say the whole deck is is built around race, right? Separation exists in this country and it exists on so many levels and race is one of them. And there's an intersectionality between race and other isms in this country. So we must take a look at it. We must take a look at how does race show up even in the language that we use? How are we conditioned to respond differently based on how we define people racially? How do terms like Karen perpetuate racism? What is the Karen effect? We've talked about colorism multiple times on the show. Maybe we'll get to that today. We're gonna be talking about a bunch of things. So I would absolutely love for you to put your comments in the chat on Facebook Live or YouTube, reach out to us. But I wanna welcome back Ricky Wade. He'll join us after the break. He's a driven visionary who's focused on rehumanizing America, which we talked about on the previous episode. If you didn't see it, goes back to February 9th, go back and take a listen to that. For the past 12 years, he's worked for the government in capacities where he's had to interact with many law enforcements and political organizations. So he has an inside scoop on all of that. He's also worked with Corporate America, but his organization is called um, In Race in America, American Redneck Company, actually, if you want to go and look up his site. But he's really about how do we in this word and this social construct of race it's a tall task and sometimes the ways in which we identify and define people are based on this social construct there are actually pros and cons to even having the word black white latin etc cetera, etc cetera. but what do we do when we use those words do we use them to celebrate do we use them to harm? So today we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. We are actually going to take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to welcome Ricky Wade to the show. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are back with the dismantle racism show my guest today is ricky wade ricky welcome back to the show i'm so excited to have you today
4: thank you dr tlc pleased to be back i appreciate you having me
0: so i have to start out my my first question is how are you doing because i know that you just came back from ghana and zambia so are, do you have any jet lag
4: no not anymore that that first couple of days back it, it is tough to recover sometimes but i've had about a week I am very pleased with the trip. I am very pleased with the experience. So no, I'm perfectly fine and grateful, grateful for what I got to experience and see.
0: Right, well, good. So I know that we want, we're gonna talk about race in America. Absolutely. You have just gone to uh, the motherland. Your motherland, exactly. people there who look like you. And I wanna start by saying, Talk to me a little bit about your experiences there. Because often I know that even when we as people of color go to you know um other places, we're first seen as American. Right? Um and so so sometimes the race piece becomes almost second nature. Tell me a little bit about your experience there and how it helps you one to see yourself. As a person who shares the same skin tone, and then um, two, how it might compare to what you see here. Now, now, mind you, I realize I asked you two questions, and I'll probably interrupt you at some point to, to, to follow up with something that you say. But I I ask it that way so I don't forget. No what I to Talk about
4: no problem. Thank you for that. So Ghana first, because by chronological order, I went there first before Zambia. It was my third time in Ghana. And I have uh, many personal ties there. My mom was actually born in Ghana. My grandmother still lives there, or has moved back there since. My great grandmother, my all my uh, a bunch of uncles, cousins, aunts, they're all there. So I have personal ties to Ghana and the area Accra, and which is the capital of Ghana and the area around there. So being that my my family is from there, I actually by Ghanaian law qualify for Ghanaian citizenship. You just need at least one grandparent that is from, that is a Ghanaian citizen where I have multiple as well as my mother. So the first time I went there was when I was 14. Didn't really understand what I was seeing as well. Did get to sleep in some of the houses that my cousins slept in. It helped me to appreciate what we have here in America versus overseas. Like middle class here is much different than middle class over there. And then my mm-hmm. second time in 2018, I got to see my grandfather for the second time. I saw him first time when I was 14. And how fortunate, because he ended up passing away about a month and a half later. So mm-hmm. my grandfather, and this is going to be very interesting to a lot of people, is full-blooded Lebanese. There is a mm-hmm. very um, pro, uh, pronounced Lebanese population in Ghana, people who... My, immigrated from there from Lebanon many years ago so my grandfather although he's full blooded Lebanese was born in Ghana born in Accra and then this third time being that the older you get the wiser you get and some of the more experiences i experience i've had i i got to get a more full experience um not just within the city of Accra but many of the outskirts where my grandmother currently lives where many of my cousins and my aunt lives So while I was there, I got to meet with a gentleman, his name is James, and I'm going to mess up his last name, so I'm not going to try, but I kept calling him James, who's running for office there. And lo and behold, running for political office in Ghana is much like America, it it costs money. But James had watched our previous show, James and his wife, and they explained at length, we had breakfast, it was James, his wife, and my grandmother and I had breakfast together and explained the impact that race the race practices that originated in america how they're impacting Ghana now how they're impacting west africa including practices such as um and I'm, i i know i'm going to make some people mad but chemically chemically altering your hair in an attempt
3: oh oh I,
4: it, I hear you right hear you. in, a, in a, an attempt to assimilate so that practice had come back from America to Ghana or the practice of bleaching one's skin to try to appear lighter and more accepted and the 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 wife who who just an amazing lady was so passionate about our cause and stopped the practice of calling ourselves black which has also uh in, infected parts of uh, affected parts of Africa that it the the dehumanizing effect she sees with her son who Will be playing soccer. They call it football there, but automatically to defer the ball to kids lighter than him in in times mm. when he shouldn't have. So mm. it was amazing to see firsthand experience how our crusade, although I call it, in, I say we're
0: ending race in America, is actually having an effect in Ghana. <laughs> so yeah, so. you know. So I just want to just pause there for a second because Please. we we. We, this goes back to what we do matters, right? Because people Absolutely. are always watching us and people watch America very carefully. In fact, what I didn't really know was that um, Hitler's whole uh, anti-Semitism was actually a result of him watching what happened in about race in Mississippi, Did right? you read the book so, Cast by Isabel Wilkinson?
4: Did, so, no, no. So no, in so, that book, no. they explain at length how Hitler
0: and the Nazis sent researchers to the United States during the Jim Crow era for that very reason. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, so, so that is the point that I'm I'm trying to make here is that he indeed was watching, right? Watching all of what was happening in Mississippi, right? And I say specifically Mississippi because I'm a Mississippian, and there was a lot that was going on, right? And so, what people have to understand is that when folks are looking at us they're looking at the ways in which we handle things and they also make assumptions about who we are when we show up when we as people of color people who identify as black or not in in, in the sense of ending race um you know they are already making assumptions i had a, a a little sister when i was in graduate school who's uh chinese and she told me that her mother said to her when you go to america don't talk to black people.
4: Right. That, so, that, that's common. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, what's happening? And here's another conversation for you and I to have, and I would love to have it with your um, Ghanaian family that there are ways in which people, particularly folks, our folks who come from Africa or other uh, countries that are of color, when they come here, they make a distinction between being African and black. And, and actually almost look down on us. Someone asked me to have a show about that. Right. And I haven't found the right person to have that conversation with. But I don't know that you and I can have it. Right. Um, it depends on who you
4: are.
0: I definitely agree with that. But in the work that I do on dismantling racism, sometimes the hardest people for me to talk to about racism in America are those people who come from other countries. Because they'll say, well, you all are just lazy or you all are blah, blah, blah. Or right, they defect, yep. that they're just they believe that their discrimination is based on because they're a foreigner. And I'm like, no, it maybe some of it is, but it's also just by the nature of the color of your skin. So, but back to you. Yes, because we I, could because you and I could get off on, on these deep uh, conversations together. So tell me more about then. Your experience there and your understanding then?
4: Absolutely. Well, three things I definitely want to hit on before I do, and that's immigration, uh, Nazis, and, and other countries, for instance, India. So, immigration wise, my mother came over here when she was 10 years old. And the way I saw her as an immigrant from Ghana interact with people, she dealt with all the same racism and hardship and intersectionality that you've discussed many times as anybody born here. In fact, she will tell you she's American with Ghanaian lineage because she follows our belief of ending race in America. However, she was able to bring that Firsthand experience African culture and speak at schools and speak at um, school board meetings and and in an open forum in churches to share, share that culture. So it really depends on who you are. But I have seen the people, the kind, I won't say which country they're mostly from. They're from a particular country who do look down on us uh because you're a black American. Secondly, just a quick thing about the Nazis. Of, of all the things you said, one of the things that's pointed out in the book cast by Isabel Wilkinson is the race rule of 1% of Slavery That's, blood right. uh, right. makes you black was too extreme for them, too extreme mm-hmm. for the Nazis. They even said we can't use this rule because that will make everyone Jewish. And then a uh, third hand, like the, the top you were in, as you mentioned earlier, originated from India. Well, when Martin Luther King went to India, he was introduced as a fellow untouchable for the caste that is identified right. as untouchable as the lowest, uh, lowest level. So. It's worldwide. It's the worldwide effect. People are watching us do it. They're watching how, as I said in the last time we met, the hierarchy of race works. Black is at the right. bottom and it, and, it, and it translates to almost everywhere you go. So, back
0: to Ghana, for an instance. So, so I, I just, because now you know, Ricky, you, you start up stuff when you were saying all that. You're absolutely right that it translates everywhere you go. And even when people will say, oh, we don't have race here yeah you do because why is it always the lighter skinned people who are on the tv shows who are advertised the billboards and all that so you have it there i do want to say kudos to your mother for understanding um how racism shows up but here's what i also want to point out um because again there's always an intersectionality certainly we look at there's certain immigrants in this country, when they come, they're treated very differently Absolutely. than the darker-skinned immigrants. Absolutely. So, and the I government do, treats them differently too. Say that again. The, the government treats them differently too. Exactly, exactly. And so, so I, I kudos to your mother for understanding that it, it wasn't just about being an immigrant; it was about being an immigrant who had the darker. Now, I don't know what your mother looks like, but right. darker than than, than, <laughs> than European. She's half
4: Lebanese, so she's a little bit right. lighter than I am. But I know right. we got a, a break coming up, but one quick note on Zambia. I had never been to Zambia, and that was the most eye-opening experience. Two people I ran into, one gentleman from London who uh, and, and shares shares my skin tone, heard what we're doing, and he immediately wanted to sign on because he it, that, that connection that we have spiritually, energy-wise – people get it as soon as they hear the truth. And if we have enough time, there's another man who uh, it's, it's, it's almost, it almost takes a few minutes to explain that he's the kind of personality that if it was 300 years ago, he would have been one of the conductors of the Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. And we have people like that right now who are putting themselves on the line, even even if they don't have to, his name is John, by the way, who I met in Zambia, is putting his his self at risk to save others. And if we have time to get talk about that, I'd certainly like to.
0: Well, you know, here's the thing. I think that every day we put ourselves, there are lots of people who are putting themselves certainly. on the line. And one of the things that I often say to people who don't look like me is, it's important for you to know the other people who are doing this work. Absolutely. Because otherwise it feels like we're in a silo. But every Alone, day there are people yes. I I, um, I had a colleague the other day who, who shared with me. She's on a business meeting, and they're having a conversation. And they started the conversation around uh, what happened. Um, they were they were applauding that this year more people watch the women in March Madness, right? Yeah. And they have some good games. <laughs> so, um, but. To her credit, what she did in this business meeting where they're trying to applaud, you know, that women are, you know, uh, are, are, are finally being seen. And she, as a woman who doesn't look like me, she said, and the other piece that we have to take a look at is the difference, differences between how those two young ladies were treated. Absolutely. And, we to take a look at. and so I applaud her that even though this business meeting wasn't about that, since you're getting ready to talk about women being in the forefront, she said, hey, here it is. Look at the intersectionality. And Absolutely. she said, "And I don't know what that will mean for me business wise, but I had to speak up. That's what I want the listening audience to know. When we talk about dismantling racism, it's the day to day things that we can do to make people aware of how racism shows up and then just to offer a teachable moment because that's what she did in that moment but ricky we do have to take a break and we will be right back with the dismantle racism show stay tuned are you passionate about the conversation around racism Back with the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is Ricky Wade. And Ricky, before the break, we were talking about your experiences in Ghana and Zambia. So I want to give you an opportunity to continue those. Um, because I asked you some questions, and then, of yes. course, you said some things, and we we got into our back and forth, which is absolutely great, right? That's because what a conversation that's is. That's what a conversation is all about. But I want to give you an opportunity to go back and to share some more of your, your learnings, particularly in comparison to how we uh, see race in America and how you want to end race in America.
4: Absolutely. So I won't belabor the point about me saying, calling someone black or white is wrong and creates the separation that God never intended for there to be. So I'll, I'll pause that for a second. The way you exercise meditation, just like in the beginning of your show, there's another exercise. I encourage uh, your viewers and everybody watching this to consider, and I'm looking out in the woods right now. If you were to ever go out into nature and just pure nature, the trees, the grass, the, the way God created it, and look around and get that feeling and see how it looks. There's, you can understand that 200, 300 years ago, that's how it looked like that very clear picture in the same way that people alive today and their, their um, attitudes and their personalities and their motivations existed two and 300 years ago. So if you think about the people, you know, now, who 300 years ago how would this person have treated you based on how they look or how the how you look would they have participated in slavery would they have turned a blind eye would they have if they if they were in a position of of being treated like a slave would they have tried to escape would they have submitted would they have turned you in for trying to escape or would they have showed the courage to stand up to a entire an entire society right? The courage to put themselves and their families and their livelihoods and sometimes their lives at risk. One thing I look for in people today is the sense of empathy. Those Mm -hmm. who have empathy that they don't necessarily have to have, those are the people I believe would have been conducting the Underground Railroad. So I mentioned John. So I'm in Zambia, and and um, I'm I'm working, so I won't get into why I was I was there. But I was there interacting with people and interacting society. And I meet this this uh, pre- preacher. His name his his name is John. He explained how he was getting people from a dangerous situation to a safer situation across international inter- international lines, and putting himself at risk to in, to do so, getting himself away from his family. So when I see that type of empathy, and of course when I told him what I was doing, he was. All for it, which continues to energize me. I I share this to say that although there are um, people who would exercise, still treat you poorly based on your skin tone, based on your sign, gender, what have you, there are good people out there, and there are way more good than bad. And people like exactly, John, people like um, yes, people like James in Ghana. Those people inspire me. So that's one of the ways I'm able to keep going. So before I forget. I sent you an email a couple of days ago, a link to Jim Crow laws. And if you as a viewer haven't looked at these, please do so. Because one thing you're going to find that is common for every state that had their own Jim Crow laws, almost all of them had, you cannot marry if you're black, marry, exactly. marry, marry a white, white person. The, there's no way that any of these laws could have existed without race. Like, mm-hmm. that, That is the foundation of of the putting people down, of the oppression, that those laws exist right now—they're just not spoken. And that's and, right. Right. Hopefully, we can get into some of that. But a lot of those same things that were written on paper or written on state laws or
0: written in federal laws 50 years ago—they're being practiced right now. And- well, well, I, I think Ricky, we we have to get in into it because, like, we can't because the show goes so quickly. We could say, hopefully, we'll get into it. But like, I do want to go back to something that you just said. Um, in terms of there are more of us than them. Like, I always think there's a story in in, in the Bible that's, that's really like awesome where God is actually, uh, speaking through, uh, uh, well, prophet is, is, is speaking to one of his assistants and the assistant looks out and he sees all these, these army folks out there just ready to tear them apart. And basically the prophet says there are more of us than there are of them because, because, when you talk about going out here to nature to kind of think about the, the ancestors and the people who came before, I always, in my meditations, try to have us to think about the people who are supporting us. And I absolutely. believe that we bring those people who came before us into absolutely. the circle because you're absolutely right. Those are the people who give us strength. So there are more of, more of them than there are of the people who want to do harm. And, 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 and when I even think about my life and some of the people who have extended a hand to me, some of the people who support me, even in the neighborhood that I live in have been predominantly people who don't look like me. They show up and they do the job that they're supposed to do just because this is the job that they're supposed to do. They're not treating me differently based on that. And so I have to give gratitude because I do a gratitude journal uh, several times a week, if not every day, for the people who show up. So I want to encourage our listeners, yes, that when dismantling racism becomes overwhelming for you to give gratitude for the people who who are showing up now and the people in the past who showed up. So that's one thing. But secondly, let's get into whether it be the Jim Crow laws or how how racism shows up every day. I want to make sure, that we're talking about that and i want to make sure that we especially leave time for this conversation around karen absolutely, now, it, absolutely. it may come in the next after the next break but absolutely. let's talk about the day to day how is it showing up day to day what are those practices so, uh whether they are related to jim crow or otherwise you're showing up? absolutely so take it back
4: to that um nature Practice that I just said. If I were to empathize with somebody of my skin tone 300 years ago and how they were treated and the hardships that existed, and I were to say, be sitting right in front of that person, like, hey, do you like being treated like this? I'm pretty confident the answer would be saying no. And I asked, which would you rather be called Black or human or Black or American? I don't think anybody enjoyed being called Black back then. And it was just a matter of of that forced acceptance of. Instead of being called my name, I got to be called the black guy. I went to a uh, military college in Charleston, South Carolina, not that long ago. I'm not that old, but, but recent enough to remember that when I got there, all I wanted to be called was my name. And I asked at at length, stop calling me the black guy. I think I have an understanding of why that exists. As I I said, in our last meeting. Being called black was not meant as a compliment. There's a reason everything with a negative connotation is black in the Bible, even in the Bible, black is bad and white is good, but I'm supposed to say I'm a black person. I'm okay. So in doing so, you start to realize that every time there's an arbitrary decision or subjective rule or arbitrary rule, it typically goes against you. And Mm -hmm. I remember I graduated early. It had nothing to do with writing the yearbook, but instead of being called my name in the yearbook, I'm referred to as the nice black guy. That's a true story. I I still have a yearbook. I got a second copy just to prove it. And another way race gets um, practiced right now, like in corporate America, when I am trying to get people hired, and, and this intersectionality comes into this, I worked in a job where my job was finding jobs for other people, period. And as I don't know if I was willingly blind or just didn't see it, but it took the first 13 months to finally see, like, wait a minute. Most of the people that are unemployed and come in here and are the first to lay off and are the hardest to find jobs for, well, they look like Dr. TLC. And it was this one particular lady that looked like my wife. So Mm. I brought this to the attention of my leadership internally. And they were like, yeah, you're just now seeing that. Oh, that's Mm. awful. There were companies that would, and I I think I said this last time, point blank, tell me not to send me any black people. There was a process and procedure of now marking that company as somebody we're not going to deal with. However, somebody would go behind me Unmarket and and work with them and send them who they want. There were companies that almost outright expressed that they didn't want to work with me because of my skin tone. So people of lighter skin would go work with that company, although that was against company policy. That practice still happens. There are people, and I know one particular person I will not say their name that is in law enforcement right now in South Carolina, and um, this guy, and we'll get into the Karen Effect in a second, but used the the societal rules that no matter what, if you don't know me or him, you're going to assume the worst of me and the best of him mm. to, to get the, get the best of me to commit honor violations and, and got away with it. Um, And I'm, again, I'm trying not to be too specific. The third thing I'm going to say, because I understand we got a break coming up, working with law enforcement, there have been multiple times when I'm showing up to a law enforcement entity And I am looking for whatever suspect they're, they're describing, whatever, trying to find a perpetrator of whatever crime. Oh, it was just this random black guy. Mm -hmm. When I, Mm -hmm. upon a little more research, I found out there there was no black guy involved, regardless of how you define black. But it's so easy for people to say and then accept that kind of, that kind of practice, that kind of blame, that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, ending versus, versus researching the truth. So race racist practice this working against us cuz it was meant to it was meant to keep you down if you're black period maybe not hurt you as bad if you're called anything else but if
0: you're black race was meant to keep pre- keep you down that's why I say we shouldn't be calling each other that right and so Ricky there there's this whole conversation uh around whether we should use it or not right i think i think part of the issue is for me is that for me i see being a black woman, as I define myself, or a woman of African descent, I take pride. And I think that the problem is, is that a lot of people don't take pride in it. And my pride isn't based on because I think I'm better than blah, blah, blah. But it's because, because of that very thing that you said, that they've always tried to push us down with it. I'm like, no, I know who I am. I know my resilience. Absolutely. I know what I've been able to experience as, and I love my culture. And, right? and what you've been able to, to overcome. There's, there's, right. a, there's a pride to that. However, that's right. to, I can't
4: allow race to separate me and somebody like John, who I talked about earlier. That's what I it was that. to
0: do. I cannot use race to dismantle racism. It, so I get that. I get your perspective on that and why that's important. For me, it's often important, though, to speak in racial terms because it helps people to do something to do two things. One, I think it helps people to see that if you are of a particular racial category based on social construct, that you can do this work. And two, I think that it opens people's eyes. And so I use it to discuss it's because it then it opens your eyes to make people understand how it is showing up on a daily basis how before I even open my mouth when I enter a room yep. you've already judged me based on this concept of race right okay, so for point. me often it's about the teachable part of it as well and and again like I said I honor who I am because of how the world has treated me to say that I'm the opposite of who I know I am. First and foremost, I know I'm a child of God. So whenever I enter into a space to teach, to preach, or whatever it is, that's what comes forth my spiritual self. So I can teach from this place of this. But we teach people from where they are as well, right? But I totally respect this idea of, of ending race in America. And hopefully... In ending it, we will end racism. Now, there's something else you said, but I know we have to take a break. Right. And when we come back, we're actually going to talk about how the Karen effect is one of those ways in which racism shows up daily, right? Yes, People are not even aware, aware of, and conscious that they're actually perpetuating racism when they say she was a Karen. We'll no. be right back with the Dismantle Racism show. Thank you.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D., the Nonprofit Sector Connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on TalkRadio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on TalkRadio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many
5: unanswered questions regarding your health.
0: We are back with the Dismantle Racism show. My guest today is Ricky Wade of the American Redneck Company and in Race in America. Ricky, I know that we want to uh, talk about the Karen effect and we will, but I just want to take this moment to actually thank you yes, ma'am. for the work that you do because you, you, you know, you mentioned there are people out here every day putting their life on the line to do this work. And I know that there are multiple ways that you put your life on the line, but as a man who who shares the same skin tone that I do, I know that it's not easy for you to show up in the world. And when you show up, there's already a target on your back, but you're also showing up to talk about something that's very critical. And I don't want us to miss this because people often think that they have to be like a Dr. King to be out here doing this work. But Dr. King didn't do what Dr. King did by himself. It took millions of other people doing the work that they do. There are people with boots on the ground. So I just want to thank thank you for being on this journey with me, because I feel like anybody who's doing this work, we're on a journey together. And uh, for honoring what the call is on your life right now to do this work, because you could have chosen to say, life is already difficult enough for me, I got enough going on over here. I'm not doing it, but you're showing up, so I just want to thank you for that.
4: Thank you, Dr. TLC, but as we know, you're the one leading the charge. I am... Of following your lead and in your wake a bit. So I appreciate you. I've called, when people ask me about you, I call you a modern civil rights leader, and that is accurate, and I can back that up. And if you haven't read her book, please, please read Dr. TLC's book. It is very, very eye opening. So one of the things that Dr. King did very well, he empowered a lot of people of all different skin tones to join along with them, which is what I'm doing, which is why I'm so against calling someone white or black, because that was meant for people to not join in together. So, and to do that, I don't, ignore skin tone. I am not colorblind. I see color. I just say I see it more accurately than most people. What we came up with is an alternative to race. And it's a skin tone scale, zero through 10. You yourself, I, in my opinion, would be about a six. I would be about a seven. Michael Jordan, nine or 10. Stefan Curry would be about a five. Anderson Cooper is zero. George Clooney, like a two or three. It depends on your perspective. It's So it's more accurate than race. In a, in a little and a lot less divisive. So that's mm-hmm. why I encourage people to use when race is necessary. But of course, if I needed to describe you, I would just say Dr. TLC, or you could say mm-hmm. uh, Ricky Wade from the American Redneck Company. That's rather specific. So secondly, it helps address the colorism aspect because as we have discussed, racism and colorism are almost the same thing. One has just has to use race to, to, to have an effect, but we can enforce the same evils or, or put a stop to the same evils of racism just by using use of colorism. For instance, mm-hmm. when you if you're going to file an equal employment opportunity complaint, you have the right to check racism or colorism or both. But they encompass the same thing, because mm-hmm. in the, the better part about colorism, say if somebody's just a little bit lighter than us, like a five, and decides to do some awful things because I'm about a seven. Well, racism wouldn't hold hold that person accountable, and I'm saying this from experience colorism mm-hmm. would so we don't need race to enforce uh getting rid of racism we could use colorism get rid of race and still accomplish the same thing
0: so and, so you're saying something really interesting because you know there's some people who don't even understand how colorism works Right, well, they okay. it, but they don't yeah. understand it
4: so right getting into the karen effect first of all i don't like when people call others Karens. There's a Karen who she actually commented on, on my post when I talked about when I posted uh, about this meeting. I want to remove that as the name. And I've come up with an alternative. Call them crows. And that is somebody who knows that, hey, if I don't like Ricky and I call the police, like in the Central Parks, uh scenario with the bird watcher, and I call the police right. to say there's a black man. Uh, Trying to hurt me. I know that's going to work against that person. Well, that person is a crow, not a Karen or um, Emmett Till was lied on. And it was known that if that person told that lie, then people would believe her and not Emmett Till. That was taking Mm -hmm. advantage of the system. So instead of calling... Calling it a Karen, call it a crow, but the definition is the same. Somebody who knows that society is working against that person for their gender or their skin tone or what have you, and then taking advantage of the societal rules to then um, put it – put exert their their pressure exert their evil on that individual it's happened to me at the citadel it happened to me in corporate america it happened to me in the work i do now and each time it was either it was always somebody (laughs) of lighter skin tone but not always somebody
0: that would call themselves white you see Mm. that person could well black and still do the same thing That's right. You're saying something really important. and I know we're going to run out of time in just a few minutes. I want to say something else about this, this Karen effect, though, too. So it's interesting. (laughs) Funny story. I was at a protest after George Floyd was murdered. So that part wasn't funny, but I was at a protest and this woman that I know named Karen came up and introduced herself to my children as Karen. So when my children got back in the car and they're talking about the protest because there were very few people of color at this protest and so they're talking about it and they said, and she had the nerve to, to come up and introduce herself as Karen. I said, <laughs> it's because her name is Karen. right But you see the danger in doing that, right? So right. there's the humor, but there's the danger. But the other thing about saying the Karen, you're the, that person is a Karen is because it also takes the onus off of other people and they Absolutely. believe. I like Derek chauvin who murdered George right. Right. Exactly. exactly, or, or a crime. Right, right, yeah. right. So what what they're doing is they'll say I would never do that. And so I have an exercise that I do when I'm teaching people in my dismantling racism course that's called I am Amy Cooper because Amy Cooper didn't leave her home that day to right. thinking that she was going to do that. This is the person. Right. Consider herself a progressive and blah, 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 blah. right? So the danger, though, is that we also don't look at how deep racism runs in this country. And the reason why those crows, as you call them, can respond the way that they do is because they've been taught that this is what you do in this country. Right. And so to say Karen means that you're blaming her, not that she isn't responsible, because she is is responsible for her behavior but you're not looking at the deeper blame the behavior, uh, blame the, blame exactly, the so exactly. I get so I Crow from
4: Jim Crow laws. That's why I use the word Crow. Now there's not that many people named Crow, but we can assign this properly. Instead of an innocent person named Karen, who's trying to do the right thing now gets looked down upon. Let's call these people right. who, who do the wrong thing. They're Crows and stop and stop the negative
0: connotation with the name Karen. Cause there's some good Karens exactly. out there. That's right. There's some, there. there's some, there's some good Karens out there and we need to look at the system yes, itself, ma'am. right? Because, because if we get into history, white women have been uh, really trained in a way to to fear people who look like us and to say, oh, wait a minute, just like with Emmett Till, right? Well, I have like to speak the- up for not just a Karen that I know,
4: but um, a, 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 several people who I think they would have oversaw the Underground Railroad as well there, there's a, there's a, there's several ladies that come to mind that meet that description of white women, if, as you define it, however, they're very good people and they've overcome So, so, Ricky, so
0: Ricky, I'm not, I'm not saying that, right. Cause I don't, I'm the other person make, I was
4: thinking of, sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I certainly don't think that all white people are bad. What I, my point that I am trying to make in our 30 seconds that we have left here is, is my point that I want to make is this, and that is historically those women who've been lumped in that group there's a way that they've been socialized to respond to us as people with a dark hue and and it because that's why so many of our men have been lynched but ricky of course we're ending the show in the middle of this dynamic discussion but we'll come back i'll come back
5: so
0: exactly so People want to get in touch with Ricky. You can get in touch with him on social media. His organization is called the American Redneck Company, which we talked about the last time on the show. Everything will be listed, of course, with how you can get in touch with him. Ricky, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'm sorry that we have to end the show on such it's a dynamic uh, conversation, but uh, we knew that this would happen. I appreciate
4: Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Dr. TLC, Brian, Angie, Karen. Uh, Chris and Tisha and Mary, thank you all very much. I know you're watching, so thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you to all the listeners for being on the show. We do appreciate you. Please do go to sacredintelligence.com to learn more about me. And please um, stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. God bless.